A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsblog 20 podcast series in which we celebrate 20 years of Arsblog by talking to a guest about a calendar year of the site's existence between 2002 and 2022. In this episode, we are talking 2006, and my guest is James McNicholas. James, oh, James, just James. It sounds weird when I say your surname. James McNicholas, James from Gunnerblog. James from Gunnerblog, yeah, of course. As tradition dictates. Yeah. So we're talking 2006. It was a big year. What? A lot happened. A lot Seismic. Happened. Let's begin. What have you picked? What's your first bit of 2006 that we're going to talk about? A lot of my bits are from the sort of first two-thirds of 2006. Is that right? That's I feel like fair. Yeah. It diminished, you know, towards Christmas mm. 2006 was nothing to write home about. I, my first point is actually the January transfer window. Right. 2006. Because, I don't know if you recall, but Arsenal made three signings in very quick succession. It was Abu Dhabi, Emmanuel Adebayor and Theo Walcott mm. within the space of a couple of days. And that was pretty exciting at the time. It was relatively uh, out of character for Arsenal to go and do that much business uh, in mid-season especially. And above and beyond all else, I just remember the degree of excitement that existed around Arsenal getting Walcott. Mm. There'd been a kind of tug of war. I think Liverpool were very much in for him. And because of Arsene Wenger's reputation at the time and his eye for talent, which was kind of, you know, second to none, the fact that he was prepared to go out and pay, you know, between 10 and 15 million pounds for a 16-year-old... Um, I think made us as fans feel like, wow, this kid is going to be something special. You know, yeah. the next Thierry Henry, guaranteed. It was extraordinary. When you look back at it now, um, you know, Theo came in at 16. Um, it was Auxerre where Diaby came from. And where was yeah. Adi Bayor at the time? Was it Monaco? Monaco. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of players in from Liga and Theo Walcott, who didn't play. He didn't no. play. I mean, there's a picture. It's doing the rounds. It's out there. Um, one of those, uh, maybe it was Stewart who took it. I can't remember. But you've got Adibayor, Walcott, and Diaby all in one um, group together, those January signings. Like you say, it was unusual. But looking back on it now, when you consider the fact that Theo didn't make his debut until the following season, that, as you talked about, the reputation of Arsene Wenger and his this perceived this eye for talent that people had so mm. much faith and trust in ended up with Walcott going to the World Cup in 2006, yeah. which the is same extraordinary. Mm -hmm. 
That's hadn't mental. played a first team game no. for six months. I mean, bear in mind he had been playing semi regularly for Southampton in the first yeah. half of the season. It wasn't as if he'd not made a professional debut. I think Harry Redknapp was the manager at Southampton at the time. Um, but yeah, he then went into the Arsenal setup, did not feature in the first team. Actually, made his first team debut. I believe, later in 2006, on the first day at the Emirates Stadium, yeah. the, he came on and set up a goal for Gilberto um, in the, the one-all draw with Villa. But, uh, yeah, for Svenjur and Eriksson to pick him as a kind of a wild card for the 2006 World Cup, and he actually featured for England in the warm-up friendlies, although he never got on in the tournament. Mm. He played for England, I believe, in those games, or in England 11. Maybe it was categorised as England B or something like that. Yeah. But he played for England in the warm-up games before he played for Arsenal. That's mad. It's mad. It is when you kind think of insane, it, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, 16 years old. How did that happen? You know, because I think, you know, Theo developed into a, a good player, maybe not quite what we, you know, had invested or thought about at the time, but still scored over 100 goals for Arsenal. But at 16 years of age... To put him in a World Cup squad with, I mean, I'm just going to have a look at the England World Cup squad here and just see who was, who was. I in feel it. like Jermaine Defoe was the man left out, right? Um, I think much to his uh, irritation because he was left out for a player with no track record at the highest level. Um, so yeah, I, I, if you have a look at the squad, I think yeah. it was it would have been like Heskey, Owen, Rooney, Rooney. And then maybe Walcott. Peter Crouch was in there. Peter Crouch and Walcott, yeah. Mm. Wow. So it, it was this extraordinary story. And don't get me wrong, there were times where Walcott was a really exciting player, particularly in those first couple of years once he broke into the first team just because he was so electrically quick. There was that quote doing the round yesterday, I think, on social media mm. of Lionel Messi saying the one player we fear is, is Walcott. <laughs> and I think Guardiola said a similar thing, you know. What do you, um, what do you remember about why that business was done at that point? Because in the 2005-2006 mm. season, um, you know, we did struggle a bit. So was it a response to yeah. an underwhelming season? I mean, we might, I think we were maybe, maybe sixth in January, right. something like that, sixth or seventh. Well, Bear in mind, we're coming off a summer in 2005 where we only bought a goalkeeper, really. Am I right in thinking that? No, no, no. That, was 2000, that was the previous year. What did we buy in the summer of 2005? That would be a good question to answer. 2005, uh, if I remember, we so brought Vieira in... would have gone. Vieira's gone. Fabregas has sort of stepped up. And then I think Kleb, maybe? Yes, we did. It wasn't, uh, but there did. wasn't much more than that. Yeah, I, I seem to recall that there was a feeling that we hadn't uh, done enough. It was mm. basically Kleb, uh, Alex Song, who was right. Again, very young at yeah. the time, very very young, and that was essentially it. And so, I think there was a, a demand for more players. And mm. in fairness to Arsene Wenger, I mean, they were, you know, although Walcott didn't play. He was the highest profile, really, deal. But the other two made pretty major contributions uh, that season. I mean, Diaby uh, came in and really impressed, and it was that same 
season, that same year, yeah. I think that he picked up that injury, of course. Which Well, that injury was inflicted upon him. I, I, I yeah. think sometimes we have to look at the language we use about the, the injuries, where he sure, just sort of picked up an injury as if it was something quite innocent. And it was actually just, a, just such a horrendous tackle by the Sunderland player at a point in that game where where it was just like it's never necessary but it was just so unnecessary at that point mhm and then and then Adibayor, who who hadn't been starting regularly for monaco mm. um and yet came into arsenal and played a lot of games alongside Thierry Henry um they struck up a, a decent understanding and i and he's still a player that i uh what can i say I think I feel somewhat regret- regretfully about because every time I think about kind of a modern centre forward and the characteristics physically and technically you'd want them to have, he really ticked so many of those boxes, um, but didn't didn't uh, become. Well, he did become the player we hoped he would, but just not for any sustained period yeah. of time. That, I mean, that season he did have where he scored thirty goals, whatever yeah, it was, was and it was years an, yeah. Um, like genuinely a, a very good striker, but clearly there were, I mean, there was talk about character issues, weren't there? When he arrived mm. and it was like, ooh, you know, can can we get the best out of this guy? And you're thinking, well, if yeah. anyone can, Arsene Wenger can. And he did for a while until such point as the, the Adibayor, um, yeah, he himself became too much to handle, so. But yeah, I remember that window, uh Quite fondly, it was quite exciting, mm. and at, at that we were at that point in Arsenal's history where players we hadn't heard of were very exciting. <laughs> um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like in a way, it was more exciting for Arsene Wenger to go and sign someone you'd never heard of than someone you had, because his track record at that point was was so good. I mean, do you mind if I just jump forward? Because I know there are other things that we, we we talk about, but when you look at that January, and then you look at what we did in the summer. Thomas Rosicki, mm-hmm. William Gallas, boo, um, Denielson, one of those players that you're talking about as somebody who, oh, who's this? Who's this guy? Arsene Wenger's yeah. brought him in from Brazil. He must be good. And look, it never, it never really ended well, or it didn't end well for Denielson. But you know, there was a period where, when he arrived, we were talking about him in in very positive terms because he he. He looked like a good player. I think he hit a yeah. wall in his career and it, it, it didn't go any further. And there were things that, you know, people think about now when they think about Danielson, which aren't great, obviously. But, you know, those maybe that first 18 months was really positive as far as I can remember. Definitely. I mean, people talked about Danielson in a similar kind of bracket to Sesk at one point. You know, there was mm. talk of them as Arsenal's central midfield partnership for the next 10 years. Um and, and with some justification, I know for people who only saw kind of the latter part of Danielson's career at Arsenal, that will seem absurd. But at 18, mm. 19, 20, the level at which he was managing to play in the Premier League was genuinely impressive. And I think physical and um, mental issues, I think, dogged him yeah. in later years. Um, and he, he really paid the price for that. But he was a really interesting prospect yeah. at that time. He was. And uh, I suppose one other deal that went through um, that summer after much, maybe it was the first real internet transfer saga. 
I know there have been players who've been linked with us down the years who've become like a, a, a bit of a standing joke, like Solomon Kalou and Trebelsi and, and Sebastian Frey and things like that. But uh, Julio Baptista. Um, was, well, that was the one that got away the previous summer. You know that. Well, this we was the about, loan. This was the loan, wasn't it? Yeah, we were after him yeah. the previous summer to play in midfield. Yeah, when Vieira left, he went mm. after him. Then it didn't work out. He went to Madrid, was in and out of the team, and he came in a swap with Jose Antonio Reyes yeah. in the summer of two thousand six on loan. Um, mixed results, you'd have to say. He was a very <laughs> strange player, Baptista. He was, wasn't he? Didn't he talk at one point about how he loved scoring overhead kicks? That was that was his thing. Well, you could tell. <laughs> you could tell. He, he basically did everything but sort of flick the ball up for himself to have an overhead kick every time it came near yeah, him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was fun to watch at yeah. times. Um, I'd better move on from transfers as fun sure. as it is. February 2006... One of the most extraordinary incidents, I think, in Arsenal's recent history, actually, which is when Arsenal played West Ham at home and Sol Campbell asked to be substituted at half-time. And that was essentially, I guess, kind of the beginning of the end of Sol Campbell at Arsenal. Um, but he... Arsenal, I think, were 2-0 down at half-time and he'd been at fault for both goals. He didn't come out for the second half. Seb Larson, was it? to Belgium. I believe, for right. like four, four or five days afterwards. Arsenal weren't entirely clear where he was. David Dean eventually tracked him down. And by the end of the season, he's playing, uh, as we'll come to, in the Champions League final. But I just... I, there, aren't, there aren't too many other examples that you can think of within football of something happening that quite that dramatic. Yeah. And I think he literally left the stadium at half-time. I do wonder if something like that happened now if there would be more, a different perspective on it. Because at the time, and I remember Definitely. at the time, you know, and, the, you know, we're talking about, what are we here now, 16 years ago? That mm -hmm. long? You know, the way we think about people's mental health and, and everything else has changed quite dramatically in that time. And at the time, I remember thinking, and it was a fairly widely held um, school of thought, that, you know, he'd, he'd let the team down, which I suppose on a, on a basic level he had. But I think you have to try and understand why a player like Saul Campbell behaved like that in the first place. Like, what was it that made him think, I, I just can't continue? I've been doing this for X amount of years at the highest, highest level. I've had a, diff a difficult 45 minutes, but now I just can't come out and I'm going to leave the stadium and I'm going to go to Belgium and I'm not going to come back for a while. You know, I think we would view that very differently now. Maybe people, I think more people will be sympathetic to the root cause of what happened, if still a bit frustrated at a senior player behaving in that way. But, you know, at the time it was, it was maybe a little bit different, wasn't it? Definitely. I think the prevailing attitude, and that's, to be honest, why I raise it, because... I would, I would even say of myself, the prevailing attitude in my eyes at the time was sort of one of, you know, I guess man up, you know, you've got yeah, to play yeah, yeah, on, yeah. you've got to, that kind of very traditional way of looking at it. And I think looking back, if that happened today, I think there would be a very different perspective on it. And uh, I wonder as well, would, I can't speak to exactly what the club did behind the scenes mm. or how they reacted to it, but would there be more support in place for a player who you know, clearly was experiencing something quite traumatic. Um, 
but yeah, I, yeah. I, I, it's 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 uh, the, a curious incident yeah. and footnote in that season for I, sure. I guess as well the the thing to say is that maybe nowadays players might feel a little more willing to be open about whatever it is that they're struggling with. Because yeah, maybe it wouldn't get to that point. Yeah, it might not get to that point because there could be, uh, you know, a process there or or like the players. Look, football is full of machismo, and I think the idea of uh, admitting to a mental health problem back then um, was anathema to most of them. Like the idea that you would show weakness mm. in the dressing room or or whatever it might be, therefore you internalize whatever's going on until you get to a point where something drastic happens, which mm. I think is what happened in that particular incident. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Mm. Um Moving on, yeah. oh, do you know what? The next thing I had was, I don't know if you remember, uh, a home game. I was there actually against High, uh, at Highbury against West Brom, uh, which we won 3-1, but it was Dennis Burkamp day. Um, I think everybody, I can't remember what, I think basically every home game in that season, because of course it was the final season at Highbury, yeah. had like a theme. There were many, many themed days. And this one particular day was earmarked as Dennis Burkamp Day. Mm. I feel like there may have been accompanying T-shirts, or maybe I'm thinking of his testimonial there. Not was sure, there orange T-shirts or something yeah, like that? maybe. Or balloons? Uh, anyway, Burkamp at this point was not really a regular in the side. Um, in fact, I think his minutes had become increasingly few and far between, and it, mm. it was becoming clear that there wouldn't be one more year as there had been kind of every yeah, yeah, season yeah, yeah. for the last four or five seasons those chance of one more year sign him up it had always come to pass um, and I don't think it was going to be the case this time but he came off the bench in this game and scored the final goal of the afternoon and it was the most typically yeah. Burkamp uh, you know effortless curled finish into the corner and I think it was his final goal as an Arsenal player um, certainly in a competitive game and I just thought it was a really fitting way to sign off and not every player bear in mind he got a testimonial as well that year which was the mm. first game at Emirates Stadium not every player gets that kind of send off and he absolutely deserved it yeah the ability to to produce on that particular day as well is amazing yeah. isn't it you know and like you say the goal was it was extremely Bergkamp that goal the curler um, yeah. it, it, was a, it was a really nice moment and then on the sort of subject of farewells I mean I have to talk about the final day at Highbury where mm. I was lucky to be there as well I can't remember how I managed to blag a ticket for that because I wasn't a season ticket holder at the time but I did, and it was just the most extraordinary day. I mean, in, in the context of the league, the reason we'd had to do those January signings is we were battling for our Champions League place, mm -hmm. and it went to the final day. Um, mm -hmm. Spurs were at West Ham, and, you know, we all know what happened there with... Uh, <laughs> Applying for the, a postponement? How dare they? How I know, dare they? I know. The nerve of them. <laughs> Uh, I, I believe it's now sort of somewhat debated whether or not lasagna was actually anything to do with it. I think I think the accepted wisdom now is that Spurs, that was sort of Spurs basically trying to blame the hotel uh, mm. or find a cause for why all their players were ill. But I think the belief now is that it was essentially just a bug that had gone round through the squad and bedridden them. Yeah. 
I prefer the myth that it was some Arsenal fans, chefs in the kitchen, you know? Exactly. Me too. I mean, there was a range. I remember we, we did some T-shirts on the site and stuff like that. And uh, <laughs> all about lasagna and lasagna gate and everything else. It's, uh, yeah. it was, yeah, I mean, it was a, an amazing an amazing end to that particular league season because, you know, they, they did have an advantage. Uh, man who scored the goal for West Ham that day was, um, the winning goal was, was it the winner, Yossi Benayoun? Yossi Benayoun, yeah. I believe so, who would, of course, turn up in an Arsenal yeah. shirt a few years later. Um, and we had a pretty extraordinary game of our own. It was against Wigan, but it, it, it was anything but routine. Mm. I feel like we were... Behind were we at one point? Um, yeah, it was two one to Wigan at one point. Yeah, the yeah. lead didn't last long, but it was yeah. Yeah, it was a, a nervy moment then. But Thierry Henry scored a hat trick. The final goal, I mm. believe, was a penalty. Fell to the floor, kissed the penalty spot at Highbury. Um, it was kind of epic, and I, and, and and this was sort of pre. I mean, social media was obviously a thing, but it was not to the same extent. And I was. Um, I was in the stands and there was a guy in the row behind me with a radio. That's how yeah. <laughs> kind of like old school it felt, you know, in terms of like yeah. getting the updates from, from with his, with his earpiece, or like just yeah, one exactly. ear into his little tiny transistor radio. And, yeah, you yeah. know, you're getting that phenomenon of uh, fans cheering and you don't know why. And then it turns out there's been a goal in the other game. I mean, there really is nothing quite like a final day like that. I mean, later on, we'd have things like 1-1 at Newcastle, yeah. which, were, which was kind of a social media thing, which was very, very funny. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a great day. Lots of legends there. Some legends not. I remember Tony Adams, conspicuous by his absence mm. in that kind of wilderness period where he and the club, and perhaps he and the manager didn't seem quite on the same page. But I, I will always remember, was it Robert Perez, Thierry Henry and Ashley Cole? Yeah. L- lounging in the centre circle after the game, just kind of looking round at the stadium. Did they have some podiums or something like that on the pitch? Or They did, yeah, because yeah. Uh, because they'd had kind of a post-game yeah. celebration with fireworks and, and the procession, closing of the stadium. Um few people like trying to take souvenirs away you know trying to wrench their chairs out of the stands and what have you um but yeah i always remember looking at those three and sort of thinking ah wow we Mm. we are witnessing kind of the end of an era here not just in terms of stadium which is obviously huge but also a a team too um all those three of those players Pires Omri and Cole would leave, I think. Oh, no. Well, Cole... Cole ultimately stayed, but Cole... Pires and Cole did, yeah. Though this was one of those where, where Arsene Wenger was reluctant to give players at 30 or over 30 anything more than a one-year deal, and he wanted Robert Pires to stay, but still wouldn't offer him anything more than a, a one-year deal. He, of course, went off to, to Villarreal. Villarreal, um, yeah. Fun fact, and- the one of the jumbotrons from Highbury ended up at a pub. In Dublin, it's in the beer garden there. I think it still could be. I'm not sure, but wow! I think uh, I'm just looking back at the sort of BBC match report now, and it's so funny. Like for Arsenal, this day was all about Highbury and Thierry Henry and finishing fourth and magic. And then at the bottom of the article, they've just got quotes from Wigan manager Paul Jewell, and it says Uriah Rennie likes to make history. Something was bound to happen. We just don't get penalties at Arsenal. And to send off Andreas Johansson was nonsense, really. When you look back in years to come, Rennie's name will be in the record books and he'll like that. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, uh, everybody associates that final day of Highbury with Uriah yeah. Rennie. You know? <laughs> the Uriah Rennie day. <laughs> oh, um, my goodness. So there you go. I mean, it, 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 I guess it was the perfect uh, finale in I some mean, respect. Yeah, look, I, I suppose the perfect finale might have been a, a title-winning season at, at Highbury, but on that final day to, to pip... Tottenham into fourth place to secure Champions League football after, you know, what had been a really difficult season. Um, you know, we were inconsistent, certainly away from home. I, I think we were terrible that year. And for them to sort of suffer the effects of lasagna or norovirus or whatever the hell it was, to have the thing turned down, for their sense of injustice to fuel our celebration of fourth place... Um, you know, was was just something, and obviously a bittersweet day, of course, to leave, to leave Highbury and to move towards the Emirates Stadium. But um, yeah, I know that there are people who will be listening to this who, who may still have regrets that that happened. But the idea was good, obviously, uh, as football was moving into a new, a new kind of era, wasn't it? Because Chelsea had come along, or Abramovich had come along into Chelsea, and and the idea of the Emirates was. So we could compete with the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus, mm-hmm. Bayern Munich, who all had these 60, 70, 80, 90,000 seater stadiums, which generated so much revenue. And we had our 38,500 at Highbury, and that was it. There was no room for expansion. And of course, the plans for that were put in place before this oligarch era came along. Like it was always about how much can you generate from ticket sales and corporate and all that kind of stuff? And nobody really uh, had envisaged something like Abramovich happening, you know? No. So. Yeah, it it did feel like the right move at the time, even if it was a very painful one. Um, It was exciting for me personally to move stadium because, as I say, it meant that I could become a season ticket holder, which I'd been on the waiting list forever to mm. do I mean in those days in the Highbury days a season ticket was absolute gold dust you know you couldn't get one for love nor money um, but before all that we mm. of course uh, had a date in Paris after that extraordinary run to the Champions League final That I mean that is an extraordinary run before we talk about the final yeah. I think we should yeah. talk about that extraordinary run because um, Patrick Vieira had left the, the summer before and he joined Juventus and you know he came back and there was that moment wasn't there in the, the game against uh, Juventus at home where Robert Perez of all people slid in and mm. uh, Rob Vieira of the ball Cesc Fabregas scored a goal so you know you beat um, Juventus 2-0 at home I think it was 0-0 away from home and this came after beating Real Madrid which is one of the most um, incredible games I've I've ever been at because I was living in Barcelona at the time so I went from I went from Barcelona to Madrid to see that game and on the way back you know I was wearing my Arsenal shirt and arriving in Barcelona airport and the security guards and taxi drivers and bus drivers and all going come on yeah. You know, because simply because Arsenal beat beat Real Madrid, but you know those two games were were amazing. The Real Madrid games away from home to win that Henri goal, um, Fabregas. I think was that was his real coming of age performance Definitely, that night. Yeah. Um, the the nil nil at home, terrifying, but but. Um, 
the save from Jens Lehmann from Raul, the, the makeshift back four that we had with Ibue, Toure, Senderos, Matthew Flamini at left back yep. to go through that, you know, those games against Real Madrid, against Juventus, in the semi final against um, Villarreal, uh, the penalty save. I mean, all of it was just, it was pure theatre in a way. Mm. Mm. It really, really was. And uh, that defence. I mean, you know, have gone down in history uh, for the, for their achievements. I mean, keeping the likes of Real Madrid at bay. You know, we had such injury problems. We spoke about the issues Sol Campbell was having. Mm. There were physical problems on top of that as well. Um, Abue at that point, I think, had only been in England for a year. I think it was the previous January he arrived from Beveren, who we had a, a kind of uh, mm. a partnership relationship with. with yeah, yeah, um, and was playing outstandingly well uh, at that time really exciting prospect Sendros was still a young defender Torre was inexperienced in the position um, and yeah Flamini did a brilliant job at left back so mm. it, that was actually one of the big conversation points coming into the final wasn't it Is, was what would Arsenega do with the defence because yeah. you know he, he had Ashley Cole available again and Sol Campbell I think just made it back in time but it and I guess ultimately justified his place with with a goal in the final. Yeah. But um, I remember talking to Senderos about that on a podcast last year or the year before. I can't yeah. remember, but he wasn't quite fit for the final. Um, so that decision, you know, about who to stick with when he had Sol Campbell back. Senderos wasn't quite fit. Yeah, Senderos wasn't quite fit. So. Right. right. Um, must have, that must have been sore, nonetheless. You mm, know, having played such a big of part course. In- getting Arsenal there and then and and Paris was such a great occasion I mean <laughs> I actually didn't get into the game I went to Paris with about six seven hundred quid in my pocket and thought I'll chance my arm and uh no luck no dice didn't get into the game but had a pretty good time we had a good Paris, day that day didn't we yeah where were we I forget there was, was a that bar called Kitty O'Shea's I don't know whereabouts in in Paris it is. Um, I couldn't tell you, but there was a big, big Arsenal contingent there and a big, big Arsblog contingent there. Many of the people who were using the site, we were there and we were playing football, if you remember. The ball was going in through the window of of a post office. Um, Mm. There was the Alex Ferguson thing as well. The Alex Ferguson thing. I mean, it's sort of so incredible that I I almost can't believe it's true. It feels like something I've invented in my mind, no, d- but tell it did it, happen. Didn't tell it. it. Yeah, you tell it. Well, I, I may have embellished, so correct me if I'm wrong, but we were basically playing football in the street. Yeah. And somebody kicked a ball, and I I feel like it hit a passing car. It did, yeah. That's that's my recollection anyway. Or maybe the, just- uh, my recollection is it hits the window of a car. Mm-hmm. The window rolls down, it's and it's Sir Alex Ferguson in there. Yeah. Is that accurate? I, I think it was more that somebody was able to see in the window. Like, I don't think... It seems he was, unlikely he would wind it down. Yeah, to, I don't think he, he went down the window to go, you fucking Arsenal fans. But I think somebody was like, oh, it's Alex Ferguson in that car. And then there was like mayhem. And um, <laughs> then if I remember, some policemen with machine guns came along and told us to stop. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Um... So I, you went to the game. I did. You You actually got into the game. I stayed in Kitty O'Shea's uh, with my cousins and a bunch of Arsenal fans Mm. who had just come out for the trip, essentially. 
And there was a guy, I'll never forget this guy in an Arsenal shirt. I think he was from Africa. And he, every time they tried to go down our right-hand side and Abue won the ball, he would stand up and beat his chest and go, you cannot beat Abue! Like that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He was a real believer in Emmanuel Abue. But I just remember, I mean, obviously, like, and I can't imagine what the scenes were like in the stadium, but getting that first goal. Mm. Um, it's a shame. Were we down it, you to 10 like- men before then? I think we were down to 10 men before the goal. I think it was pretty early. And it was it like was- 20 minutes when Lehman was sent off, and I think it was maybe about 10 minutes before halftime. When yeah, that's right. Campbell scored. Yeah, 18 minutes played. Oh. Lehman became the first person to be sent off in a European Cup final. You know what? I was sitting quite close to where um, the non-playing players were and family members and stuff like that. And I I saw Lehman come up after the game um, to go into whatever area of the stadium that was. And I've never seen anyone look as ashen-faced and sick right. in my entire life as as he did at that point. And there was a lot of talk, wasn't there, about maybe the referee should have just let it go, let the goal stand, let the game go on, which I think probably he should have. But I suppose if the shoe was on the other foot, we would be looking for Victor Valdez to have been sent off and we'd be furious if he wasn't. I think so. I mean, it was, a, it was such a shame because Lehman had played a major part of course in us getting there mm. um, think of the Villarreal moment particularly oh, it's so cruel do you know what I'm watching mm. it back now I have to be honest I didn't watch highlights of this game for I would say at least 10 years after it happened because I found it so heartbreaking yeah I I the, the walk Back to our hotel on the night of the game, I was so devastated that Arsenal had lost. Yeah. In the circumstances they had, you yeah. know, it was so cruel. It felt like it had been whipped away from us. I was with my friend Chris, Swedish Chris, and we left the stadium and we got on a train and we got off for what we thought was the, the right stop. Um, but wasn't by some distance. So we're walking around the streets of Paris in our Arsenal shirts. It was raining at that point, raining pretty heavily, if I remember correctly. And it was taxis. I remember, you know, taxis going by. You put your hand up, taxi would come in to pick you up, and he'd see the football shirts and just go. And I don't know how long it took us to get back to our hotel. A long time a long time um there was no google maps at that point i didn't know yeah. where we were we eventually found our way back to the crappy hotel that we were staying in i had a very very delicious kebab i remember that but but the same and i know i've told this story before but i was living in barcelona so i had to travel back on a train from paris to barcelona in a carriage full of barcelona fans uh, who were singing and pointing and jumping around and like you can't blame them but you know I wore my Arsenal shirt on the way back because you know at the end of the day as devastating as it was to lose that game I remember feeling very proud 
of the team and proud of what we'd almost done, not just in the final, but in that run to get to the final. Mm. And the, the, the moment at the end of the game inside the stadium where we knew we'd lost and it was devastating, but there was a sea of yellow, you know, singing mm. and it was, ah, it still raises the, the hairs on the back of my neck, to be honest. It was an amazing experience as, as horrible as it was to lose that game. Yeah, it, it really was. It was really, um, it, it was it was a proud moment actually. And, and you've got to remember at this point in time, uh, it's not like English sides getting to the final of the Champions League was a particularly regular occurrence. You know, it, it has become since. And we've seen Chelsea, Liverpool, even Spurs have their moment. But at this point, I think in the previous, yeah. I think in the previous 10 years or whatever, it had only been, United in 99. Yeah. I think I'm right in saying. Um, and so it was an, an indicator of our progress. It was funny because it came at a weird time, you know. It came almost too late for the team that we had had. We know, mm. we know about 2004 and what should have happened that year. Um, this was a team that was kind of on its way out, really. If you think of... Cole, Campbell, Perez, Burkamp. They were all uh, in their final. Yeah, Freddie stayed, I think, but not did, for yeah. long. But again, yeah, one of those players for whom it was heading towards the end, you know? Absolutely. And he played great that day, I seem to recall. Um, covered a lot of ground in central midfield. Mm. But yeah, it, it was... Uh, a proud day, but a, a, a ultimately a heartbreaking one. Henrik Larsson <clears throat> coming on mm. was seen as one of the sort of big game changers, you know. And, and and from our perspective, a lot of people... I don't know how unfair this is or not, because to be honest, I'm <laughs> not in a hurry to watch it back. But the goalkeeper came in for some criticism, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, there was one shot that went in at the near post. Was it the... the first one or the second that could have been the first so the first one, one Eto goes down the left puts it in at the near post yeah. um, he was offside was that the one he was offside for you know where VAR would yeah, have I think ruled so. it out and yeah. and then the second one I think is is, is worse that's Belletti and it sort of goes through the legs cannons off him into the net um, I mean in fairness to Almunia I think the time to be sort of critical of Arsenal's persistence with Almunia is probably the years when he was number one. Mm. In this instance, he was coming off the bench as a backup, thrown in because of Lehman's sendings off. Mm. Um, I think the mistake was maybe after this point. Maybe it was the following season that he sort of uh, began to vie more seriously with Jens for first-team players. Yeah, yeah, there's another... But yeah, is there... I remember as well Thierry Henry on the pitch after the game and I, I genuinely feel that we saw live in the moment him decide to stay at Arsenal. Um, yeah, the, it really felt that way. Yeah, because I, I, I agree with you. I think if he'd won the Champions League at Arsenal, he would have gone that summer. But then there was... was It, it wasn't long after the final that there was a sort of press conference wasn't there and there was talk of you know did he, he signed a new deal I think he got mm, a fairly substantial did, yeah. um, signing on fee and it was very I mean I, I remember do you, I don't know if you remember this but I remember at the 
at the pub outside Kitty O'Shea's, this group of Barcelona fans went walking through and there was a kid who was probably only about 13. Uh, not that it saved him from uh, a barrage of <laughs> insults from the Arsenal fans, but he walked through with a Barcelona kit on with Henri 14 on the back of it. And, mm. and that was sort of how confident they were that he was going to join, but he, he obviously decided to stay. He did. And I felt like it was in part fueled by his sort of sense of injustice, maybe a tinge of regret as well. We mm. all remember him going through in the last stages of that Champions League final. I think his legs were gone, really, at that point in the game. Um, mm. And that played into the slightly tame finish. Wasn't his side, that right-hand side, so much as the, as the other Yeah, channel. that's true. That's true. Um, but uh, he stayed on and we went into the Emirates Stadium. I, I was there for the Dennis Burkamp testimonial. I remember my, my overriding memory of that is Mark Overmars, who I think had been retired for two years or something at the time, being comfortably the best player on the pitch. <laughs> and he actually made a comeback, I think, in the years following that, maybe with Go Ahead Eagles in Holland. Um because he had retired due to injury, but mm. it just was very apparent watching it, him that he could still play. Yeah, yeah. Was that um, that was the was that the game with the um, the Gilles Grimaldi foul on Edgar Davids? Yeah. yeah, one of the was. funniest moments I think I've ever seen uh, at the Emirates Stadium. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then of course we 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 got in there for the league and and actually we didn't start particularly well. We we struggled. I think we didn't win our first two games at the Emirates Stadium. Um, it was very bare. I remember it being very... I mean, obviously, they've the arsenalization of the stadium has, has taken effect over the years, but when it opened, it was extremely basic-looking. Um, I think you were still looking at bare concrete around the, the, yeah. the surrounds and things like that, where it was like, j just get this thing ready for the season because we need it. But in terms of... Tarting, tarting it up is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? It, it was quite barren and still a strange thing, you know, for all these players to be playing home games at a brand new stadium. It does take time for a new stadium to feel like home. It does, yeah. And But I think one thing that's worth saying is, you know, now there are a lot of these modern stadia and they feel similar sometimes mm. or... Like, like replicants of each other and, and the Emirates really it, it was closest to anything I think Benfica's stadium um, it's right, yeah, yeah. very reminiscent of that but in terms of English football at the time it genuinely was astonishing I mean it was unrivaled really as a stadium uh, in the country and it didn't last long that kind of period of prominence of it being the absolute uh, best but it, it yeah it was you know as much as it was sad to leave Highbury it was very very exciting having this kind of new dawn um, I remember when we before we moved the club mocked up kind of artwork mm. of the players walking out at the Emirates Stadium um, and what was funny was that I seem to recall that the artwork they mocked up included a lot of players who actually never made it to the Emirates. Uh, like people like um, Jose Reyes, for example, 
or uh, maybe Pires was in it as well, and certain Cole. So there was this slight, yeah, there was this slight discordance of like we have finally got where we're meant to be, and we're in the new ground, but there was this uh, instability and uncertainty, and we were firmly into the period now as well where we were operating under financial restrictions too. Um, so this was kind of a, a marker point for a, a different era at Arsenal. I guess the era of the sort of the battle for fourth as it became a lot of the time. Mm. Um, Project Youth, I guess. Project was the, Youth. Yeah. I mean, it was never officially yeah. launched like that, but that clearly became the focus of, of how to deal with the financial restrictions that were in place because of the, you know, the cost of the stadium. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that was probably the last really significant thing of 2006 that we need to talk about in this, or is yeah, there anything it was. else? I had to flick through, but there wasn't anything that really jumped out to me. I mean, those things that we discussed, I think, were very significant. And when people reflect on 2006, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure, um, well, I hope we've, we've covered most of it off. I'm sure we have. Okay, well, look, we will leave it there. James, thank you very much for uh, taking this trip down memory lane. Much appreciated. My pleasure. I look forward to, uh, to listening to the others. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you to James. You know where to find him. He is, of course, at Gunnerblog on Twitter, at Gunnerblog on Twitter. You'll find him on the Arsecast Extra every Monday and in The Athletic doing Arsenal stuff there too. That's it for this particular episode. Remember, you can support the site and get more extra bonus content by becoming an Arseblog member on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Arseblog. It costs just a fiver a month and you get instant access to everything that's there and has been there since day one. Right. Let's leave it there. We will We'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.